But it has caused me to be a passionate crusader for people like me who have pre-existing conditions, who are deeply concerned about what socialized medicine would mean for people like us. Because I don't want to ever be told that I have to go stand in the back of the line to get health care. I'm Jen O'Brien. And I'm Bill Fian. And this is another episode of Fact Check. Today we are joined by former Wisconsin Lieutenant Governor Rebecca Clayfish. Recently she founded the 1848 Project, an organization working to produce the next conservative agenda for Wisconsin, and held a listening session in our area in Holman at the American Legion Post 284. What do they have to say in this area and what's being said all over the state? Absolutely. Hi, Jen. Hi, Bill. Thank you so much for having me on the show. I really appreciate it. And I love to talk about the 1848 Project, which was named for the year Wisconsin became a state. And I think it's awesome that we get to talk about the same pioneering spirit that hewed a state out of what was then forests and wilderness and opportunity and develop something as terrific as what we have today all together, because I think that's what we need to do in order to make a more extraordinary future than what we already have. So the 1848 Project does these listening sessions all across the state, and when I was with you guys in, in Holman very recently, uh, I heard from people who were deeply concerned about election integrity. I heard from people who were very concerned about their kids' education and the future of education in Wisconsin. I heard about people who were worried about the workforce and the character of the workforce, the character of the the future of the state of Wisconsin. These were people with deep concerns, but also people with a lot of hope for the future. What do you say to the people who are concerned that there's no need to vote anymore because the elections are rigged. What, what would you say to somebody who says, I just don't see a reason to continue to vote? I would say that there is a reason that they are even bothering to voice that opinion. And it is because they are frustrated. And if you are frustrated, it means that it is something that you care about. And so rather than walk away, it's incumbent upon us, the American people, the people of Wisconsin, to assure that these things are changed so we do believe in the process. It's obvious you feel passionate about this issue and the state in general. I guess I'm curious, what led you to politics? <laughs> um, you know, it's, it's funny, there is this study uh, done at Rutgers University, and they revisit it every couple of years, it's called Poised to Run. And it talks about the differences between men and women when it comes to political office. And it notes that men quite frequently will just look in a mirror and see a public servant, a political candidate looking back at them. But women, more often than not, actually need to be asked to run. And I would love to tell you that it organically occurred to me one day that I really ought to run for lieutenant governor. But that is not the case at all. I was one of those women who was told that I ought to consider running. At the time, I was a small business owner and a stay-at-home mom, and I thought the idea was absolutely hysterical because who does that, right? That seems absolutely crazy. But the more I reflected on it, the more I thought, well, maybe what the state needs is a little bit more kitchen table common sense. 
maybe what the state needs is a frustrated mom who's just going through it like the rest of everybody else in the middle of this deep recession who's trying to make a couple bucks so that we can pay both the mortgage and the electric bill and tries to, to do her small business during nap time for her kiddos. And so I began to kind of see the logic of this guy who suggested it to me, and eventually I threw my hat into the ring. I had two little kids. They were three and six at the time. I had my small business, and I followed the traditional trajectory of stay-at-home moms. I ran for statewide office. Well, of course. <laughs> yeah, I mean, everybody does that, right? You had all the time in the world. You may not know this, but it was La Crosse, Wisconsin, where I was asked to run for lieutenant governor. So I, I will always have a soft spot in my heart for La Crosse, not only because it honestly has the most beautiful downtown and gorgeous landscape, all of western Wisconsin really does, but um, it was also a very special place in my political career. In the last uh, election campaign, there were a lot of questions about pre-existing conditions, and I think this is something that people in Wisconsin really care about. And one of the things people probably don't know is that while you were campaigning to become Wisconsin's lieutenant governor, you were also battling cancer. So can, can you talk a little bit about uh, that part of the experience and, and your feelings about how we provide health care in Wisconsin? Of course. Um, it's not surprising that most people in Wisconsin don't know that I was battling cancer during that election because, Bill, I did not know I was battling cancer during that election. I just thought that that must be what a statewide campaign felt like. I mean, I would come home every day and I had just crippling cramps in my back and in my gut. And I just thought, oh, my gosh, statewide campaigns are horrible because my husband was in the state assembly and I never recalled him having any of this. And, you know, I, I am competitive, you know, I'm out there working my tail off. I'm going to all the events. I'm shaking all the hands. And I just thought, well, golly, I, I must be just leaving it all on the field and it hurts. Uh, but sure enough, um, after a couple times going to the doctor and the doctor just sending me home because he's like, you're 35, you don't eat well, you don't exercise, you're running around the state like a chicken. Um, of course you feel like this. Uh, finally, I got a blood draw and it was my gynecologist who called and she said, um, you don't have a lot of blood left in your body. And so they determined I was leaking from somewhere. And so they did an endoscopy first to see if they could find maybe an ulcer or something. And then the next day they did a colonoscopy. I remember the GI doc. I was still kind of groggy, but as I came out, uh, him telling me, you have colon cancer. And it had already broken through the colon wall and was moving up toward my liver. And so uh, I was about two weeks away from my primary election when he told me that. And I, I figured that I'd be able to, you know, deal with this in a minute. You know, I, I, I get through the campaign, everything would be great, uh, but it, it was not to be. Um, within a couple of days, I started bleeding. If you know anything about gut disease, you know that that means you have to have emergency surgery. And so I didn't get out of the hospital until election day. 
the day of my primary election. And the great thing was um, all that campaigning had worked because I, I beat all of the, the men I was running against. Now, at one point, there were five of them by 21 points. But it has caused me to be a passionate crusader for people like me who have pre-existing conditions, who are deeply concerned about what socialized medicine would mean for people like us, because I don't want to ever be told that I have to go stand in the back of the line to get health care just because of a, de- a disease I did nothing to get. I mean, they told me I'm genetic negative. There's no way we're ever going to be able to figure out, you know, why you got this, how you got this, because your genes don't point to it. So it's a mystery. And there's so many other people out there that did nothing to get the disease that they're stuck with. And so it's very important to me that people with pre-existing conditions are protected from socialized medicine and being told that, you know, they've used up a bunch of healthcare in their life. And so they've got to wait for other people to, to go first or, you know, they're old. And so, you know, we're not going to invest in them anymore. It is just a way of placing more value on some lives than others. And I just, I can't do that. And so I'm a passionate crusader for people like me who have pre-existing conditions. And I also want to make sure that government never steps in between a patient and a doctor decision. Thank you so much for sharing that experience and, and your feelings about all that. Shifting gears, you took on a number of projects when you were lieutenant governor. And one of the real interesting tasks that you took on was being the administration's liaison to small business. You held 25 small business roundtables in 2011. What are the things that you remember about your experience listening to small business owners uh, back when you were working uh, with the governor in in the uh, past administration? I was really passionate about small business when I came into the job because I was coming off of being a small business owner and I'm a small business owner again today. And what small business owners were complaining of is government not hearing them. They felt very unlistened to, very unheard. And so one of the first things we did was we created kind of an ombudsman office for small businesses to link directly into state government. Because oftentimes in a big business, you have a legal department or you have an accounting department or you have an HR department that can deal with any number of issues that the state can throw your way. But if you're a small business owner, sometimes you're the only guy doing all of those things. You could spend all day long on the phone trying to get you know, two, three things, try to, to get them ironed out with the state. And so we created this ombudsman's office and it worked out really, really well. We also routinely heard complaints about Wisconsin being a high tax state. And we knew that already, but we were able to put in place some reforms that have now saved taxpayers an incredible amount of money. Now, I still, at the 1848 Project, I still hear a lot of complaints about being a particularly high property tax state. And that's something that I imagine our forward agenda, which we will be putting out in short order probably by the end of summer, will be addressing. But I also still hear from small businesses, and this is a new one, that our Wisconsin Economic Development Corporation needs to do a better job of remembering them. 
because during the pandemic, you saw the WEDC determine that some small businesses were non-essential. And the hard thing about something like that is people have put their life's work into what they do. And to be told by your government that you have to shut your doors and risk losing everything because you are not essential to these, this economy is heartbreaking. Absolutely. Uh, I happen to know a little bit about having your business closed for 60 days and the orders that came from the governor. So looking ahead, if there was one thing that you could change to make Wisconsin a better place, what would that one thing be? No. Well, if I could wave a magic wand, the thing I would change about Wisconsin, the thing I would change about this country is people's willingness to, to listen, respect, and understand one another. I think so often the political rhetoric these days gets so heated that we have arguments that are beyond reason. People no longer want to argue with facts and data and statistics. People no longer want to even listen to them because people will use ad hominem arguments and conversation stoppers in order to delay what must ultimately happen, which is good and important conversations about how we move forward as a civilized society. When you hear people deeply involved in this cancel culture stuff who simply want to shout bigot, misogynist, racist in order to end a conversation that might have borne fruit, we've got a bigger problem than some of the problems that we have dealt with in this country in the past. And so I guess if I could wave a magic wand, that is what I would fix. But that's going to take a a different type of leadership. And we've got to remember our, our similarities, our shared values, the things that we love that we have in common in order to get back to a place of mutual respect and understanding. So if you're asking for something that I can ma- wave a magic wand and change instantly now, it would be to get all of our kiddos back in school. I mean, I've been blessed. Our superintendent listened to her parent surveys and my kids in the school they're open enrolled in, they've been allowed to go to class all year. I never in a million years would have told my daughters that they ought to thank their lucky stars that they get to go to school in America because there are peers of theirs who live less than 30 miles away who have been denied access to their classrooms for now more than a year. Because when you look at the data on that, and the learning loss that has resulted, it's tragic. The OECD has a study out now that says that this learning loss is going to cost American GDP $15 trillion. And any small business owner in Wisconsin is about to have another big problem, and that is how are they going to hire and train Generation Z K-12 kids who have gone through this pandemic and lost a year and a half of learning? And so on our 1848 Project website and on our social media, we have a couple of white papers out now that make suggestions on how we fix some of our education problems and how we regain the learning that has been lost over this year. But there are a lot of kids who are going to need a lot more healing than what reading, tutoring, and an extra math class or two is going to bring. There are some kids who have seen and experienced some really rough stuff over the last year 
And that's going to take more than just ABCs and one, two, threes. That's going to take some mental health counseling. And we're going to have to be very serious about it moving forward. Is there anything that you wanted to leave or impart before we wrap up this discussion? Yeah, I would just like people to get involved. And I know that politics is not everyone's thing, right? I know that it can often lead to arguments. It's one of those things that they say, avoid talking about at the cocktail party. Don't talk politics or religion. But I'm telling you that government affects every facet of your life. It affects what your kids are taught in school. It affects the quality of the air you breathe and the water you drink. It affects whether you have a pothole out front of your driveway that you want fixed or gets fixed almost instantaneously. It affects how much you pay in taxes and therefore how much you keep in your pocketbook. It affects whether we have open borders and closed schools or the reverse. It is so important that people get involved. And even if they don't get involved, then I would urge them to read a little bit about what is going on in this world. And even if that is just the front page of your local paper daily, that is enough that makes you informed enough to ask questions. Because we should, as an informed electorate, asking questions. And we should be demanding results of our leaders. I would submit they should listen to Bill. (laughs) (laughs) You know what? Never mind. Bill, forget about what I said about the local newspaper. You know, all you really need to do, listeners, is listen to Bill's podcast and you're all set. Yeah, I'm not a big fan of the local newspaper. Most people probably know that. But Rebecca Clayfish, thank you so much for taking this time with us today. We're going to look forward to having you back again where you can talk about your forward agenda. Thanks for being with us today. Thank you so much. My pleasure. You can share your thoughts on this conversation and other important issues affecting the lacrosse area, the state of Wisconsin, and occasionally national politics as it relates to us on the Facebook group Fact Check Wisdom. I'm Jen O'Brien. And I'm Bill Fian. And this has been another episode of Fact Check. You can subscribe to this podcast everywhere you listen to podcasts or listen at WIZMnews.com.